Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport, and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance, and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. Can you believe that we are halfway through January already? I hope you're enjoying the summer break if you're in Australia. And if you're an overseas listener, I think you should put it on your bucket list to come and visit us soon. This week, I'd like to introduce you to Martin Broad, an accountant by profession. Martin opened my eyes up to Guillain-Barre syndrome, a rare disorder in which the body's immune system attacks your nerves. Weakness and tingling in your hands and feet can be the first symptom and these sensations can quickly spread throughout the body, eventually paralyzing the whole body. One day, Martin was just going about his normal routine and the next, he was in ICU, only able to communicate with his eyes. One blink for yes, two blinks for no. I'm still sitting here today trying to fathom what that must have been like for him, being trapped inside his body, able to hear the outside world and not being able to move, talk or swallow. And all of this happened in a 24 to 48 hour period. Martin so bravely talks to us about what it was like for him, the fear, his time in hospital, his road to recovery. We do talk a lot about ICU and his hospital stay, so if this is not the right episode for you this week, jump on and listen to one of the others. Let me open up this conversation for you. Welcome, Martin, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for coming on today. Ali, lovely to be with you. And as everyone knows, we have a question that we start with. What animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? Ali, it'd have to be right in this phase. It's a turtle, all right? It, it has to be a turtle, just given, uh, you know, given where, you know, just my position now. Yeah, it's slow moving, isn't it, you know, and no matter what, I guess every aspect of of life for me now kind of, it is a bit slower. Mm. So just every aspect really is just that bit, I just need that bit more time to achieve the things I have to, you know. Yeah, so a turtle, I think, is quite apt. And if you were thinking about the turtle breeds, would you be a little penny turtle or a big tortoise? Oh, goodness. Sea turtle. Listen to sea turtle. That sounds great, you know. Like <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> I tell you what, I, I love a swim. I love a swim. Love, uh, yeah, in terms of um, getting in the, in the hydro pool and even pre, pre being in the chair, it I loved, uh, loved an ocean swim, so bang on. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, though, Martin? This is the first time we've met face-to-face. Mm, so, mm. you know, I'll be on this journey with the audience. So maybe just tell us a little bit about where you've come from and kind of what led up to this huge change in your life. Yeah, Ali, look, 
it was all um i was look originally I'm, I'm a newcastle boy okay got uh got educated down here and um left for some time in sydney left for some time in london um you know, in amongst that, got married, started a family, um, started my own business. And so, look, it was a very straight up and down trajectory there, Ali, you know, it, and, and it was great. It was great. I am really, really happy with, still am happy, don't get me wrong, but the, you know, the way it was all moving was fab. And what was your business in? Uh, accounting. Yeah. And how long have you had that, that business for? Oh, Ali, I, I've been doing that as a as a full time thing since 2011. Is this giving away your age? <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> That's my secret question. <laughs> How old are they? <laughs> and you're still an accountant now. Yeah, absolutely, Ali. Yeah. Yeah. And when did it all change? Like, what what happened, Ali? It all look. It all changed when was just going about my, my normal day-to-day and, um, you know, it, it was it all just started one morning for me in terms of what eventuated. But even the, even the day when my illness was enveloping me, you know, I still just didn't think there was anything really wrong, you know, because it just felt like the flu, you know. It, it just – there was no – that's exactly what it felt like and just like aches and pains or just kind of a feeling where you just feel a bit flat or no it wasn't flat it was more it was more just achy you know just just achy and I really did just just brush it off as I'm just must be coming down with something you know and then Ali everything changed that night you know I felt I kind of my walking, even though I couldn't see it myself, just the way I was walking was was becoming very laboured. And then, yeah, I, I tripped over trying to get the attention of, of my oldest son, trying to get him in, in, in the front door. And I, I, thought, I thought, oh, that's a, that's a bit odd. And next week, you know, it's up to the hospital and then this delightful Irish doctor because it was – it was middle of July and it was how long ago 2016 Ali and I said to this chap look I'm really busy I've I'm an accountant you know and and the uh, the doctor said look Martin this is something not nothing and I still and I went oh okay and look it really did all, all change that night because it next minute you know you're being wheeled around in a wheelchair and slowly just all functionality started to, to disappear. So what was that night like for you? Look, the, the very first night, Ali, was it was certainly more difficult to, to move. It, it just got difficult to move my, my, my legs in particular. That was an, an obvious one. And when you say difficulty moving your legs, when you, you use that word laboured, do you mean like could you stand up and walk around and it felt hard and heavy or could you not stand? Ali, it really wasn't until that next morning when I woke up and I, I got myself off to the side of my bed and I got my feet on the ground and I just there was just some sort of internal thing that told me, look, don't don't try this. And I'm glad I didn't because I, I, I 
I wouldn't have been able to, to weight bear. And the weakness was, was there. And look, I put my feet on the ground, but it just didn't feel right, you know. Mm. That would have been so scary. Like yeah. at that point, was there fear or was there like intrigue or? No, look, at that point in time, I've got to say, I still was thinking to myself, oh, all right, look, I'm, I'm in hospital. I'll get better. Look, it, mm. it'll be all right. Because mm. there wasn't. There wasn't a, there wasn't loads of communication coming through, you know. I was made aware of, of of what was going on, but was kind of assured that oh, look, it, it, you know, most cases are quite mild, and so so that first that first night, look, obviously something was going wrong, but I, I guess the the fearful, the really fearful part was at some point during that day, Ali, I. It was losing the ability to um, to swallow. That was when the fear really started. You know, I, I just remember a moment where I think uh, I, I remember my father being in there with me at the time, and I was trying to drink something and just not been able to not been able to effectively swallow it. You know, and and that's when I that was when the fear properly kicked in it was like what's going on you know and that it's really serious you know like that yeah yeah that would be an experience you would never have experienced before like sometimes we can have our legs not work or you know your arm feels sore or like all of that could be put down to you know there's just something wrong and we'll bounce back but not being able to swallow yeah that's right so just my own spittle you know my own saliva was, was becoming impossible and and it was you, know, you kind of feel like you're choking, like you're making an attempt to to try and swallow, but you can't quite clear it. And I must say that was a that was a very fearful part of it. Can you remember this like it was yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is still probably too vivid. Yeah, you know, it's probably still too vivid. And yeah, what's well, hugely but, traumatic? Well, you don't see that. You, it's you're fearful of it at the time, but I I, I think. As the years have passed, I think you, I don't know, I feel like I've been able to, you're able to place it just into a, a bit better context, you know, just as, as time passes. But look, at, at the time, look, absolutely, yeah, fearful. Didn't, again, I just sort of had, I'm, I'm kind of a glass half full guy, so I still just felt like it'll it'll be all right. It'll be all right. <laughs> had the doctors given any condition at this stage? Had they given you a name? Had they? Yeah, they had. They had. So that um, that Irish doctor, he he pronounced it in this very French fashion, you know, Gillian Barre, and I it was lost on me. I I had no, I didn't know what it was, and and it really wasn't the full extent of what was going on, and really I wasn't cognizant of that until waking up in intensive care you know and how when you say waking up in intensive care had you been in hospitals for days or weeks or you know after that swallowing like what happened next my timeline might maybe a little off alley but there was conjecture about whether or not i'd end up intensive care up at the john hunter or down on the central coast yeah so the um, the neuro nurses there were like um, look, we've, we've got to find a bed for him, you know. So ended up in the John Hunter. And it would have been, I, I think it would have been that second night that I would have ended up in, in intensive care, Ali. So quick. 
Yeah, like, yeah. To just even listening to you, like I've heard about this condition and I've read about this condition, but hearing you say it, like we're talking about a 48-hour period here where you lose function of your body, being able to swallow. Were you still not able to talk at this stage? The Certainly once the – when that swallow – was disappearing yeah the ability to to speak was was going with it. it it really was and it was really from that point i've got recollections of being prepared for intubation you know i, I remember you know you get a catheter and you, you, you the nurse my hearing was still good ali so the and the communication was just fabulous from the intensive care nurses and the professionals so they kept telling me what what they were doing and so I, I just remember being, you know, yeah, that that prep for for intubation, and then it was, and then it was waking up in intensive care. And at that point, was your survival instinct on, or was your whole life flashing before you, or were you? you it was just so busy you didn't have time to think. Like, I can't imagine what was going through your mind oh, before you woke up in ICU, and then when you woke up in ICU. Look, it, it all just went a bit fuzzy but the i've got really clear memories of of waking up yeah well tell us about that you know you come to i think whatever it might have been morphine but they they've obviously got you in a induced coma of sorts and and yeah just i remember that that's sort of just wearing off gradually and just just being cognizant of of where i was and you know, and and not just being able to move anything, you know, very aware of that. And then also just really aware of just the fact that my mouth was was full of saliva and that feeling that I was drowning, like it legitimately because I couldn't, I wasn't absolutely certain about what was attached to me or I, I wasn't that clear exactly what was going on, but I just remember that awful fear of of drowning and thinking to myself, oh, why why isn't someone coming to help me? Because I feel like I'm drowning. But yeah. of course, they've got you monitored and you're being well looked after. But just for the longest time, I it was rather fearful. That 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 was. Um, yeah. I knew I was in a pickle then. And it must be so hard, even now talking about it like I'm really aware that we're taking you back into that moment like is it hard for you now yeah do you know Ali I must say it's kind of one of those events that you know happens and then you there's a, a period of time after it that you you sort of you're in a bit of a bubble and you kind of you're talking about it a lot but I, I haven't really gotten really deep with it for a long long while but talking about it now is probably probably even harder just because you, you know, I can look back and see just how life changed at that at that time. In a split second, you know. Indeed, yeah. So it, it kind of, I must say it does, it saddens me, but I, I'm still in a really fortunate position, you know. I was in intensive care for four and a half months on the respirator and, or no, about about four months on the respirator, and then and the swallow then starts to come back, you know. But look, I, up in intensive care, there's a lot of people that just don't make it out of there, and that was happening all around me. And you know, given the length of stay, so Ali, I look, 
yes, a, a dire situation, but I, I'm still one of the lucky ones. Yeah, and I remember thinking that in ICU, like just when you said that, I remember having that thought, seeing people pass away around you or mm. having CPR and thinking, what I used to think, what am I doing here? Am I actually going to make it out of here? You know, like, am I actually going to walk out of here one day or am I going to be that person in the bed next to me? And I don't know if that was your experience, but just yeah, that there's oh. that combination of fighting for your life and watching people around you and trying to understand what's gone on, but find the drive to move forwards. Absolutely. Like, it, I, there was, I did have to get my affairs in order. So there was one of those moments where, and look, again, I'm still not totally clear. I, I, I don't know if it was organ failure risk or, but when Gillian Barre, so all I had was the function of my eyes. So the rest of my body just completely shut down, you know, and, and yeah, I, I distinctly remember that, that moment where you're needing to, get things ready because obviously there was quite the there was quite the risk that it was that I wasn't going to make it through and how did you communicate with your eyes like that's one of the that was the only way you could communicate right so ali look there was no every part of me was completely in a state of uh, paralysis all right so gillian barre the the immune system just attacks it it thinks all your nerve cells are the enemy and it just strips the the myelin coating from from all your cells so there's just no way for the signal from the brain to get through and but yeah my eyes were the only functioning part of me all right so all of the communication was me again the ears were good so I could hear. There was no ability to respond verbally. It was just blinking with, you know, one one wink being a yes and two being a no. That was the mode of communication. And did the people around you know you could hear? Like it's like you're almost locked in your body, you know? Oh, and- 100%. Yeah. 100%. I don't know. I don't know. But I think there was certainly a stage where I was coming out of the the induced coma and I could hear everything that was being spoken about by the professionals and loved ones. And I've got to say, I've got to say that there's there were some lines of discussion there that were pretty harrowing, you know. And again, this my treatment, my treatment there was amazing. The intensive care nurses and the professionals up there just were were brilliant. But yeah, as you're coming out, you, you are exposed to, you know, just some communications that are a bit confronting. Yeah. Mm. And did you have all your feelings? Like, did you have, were you aware of your feelings, like the fear and the sadness and the frustration? Or was it like, I can't imagine, I'm yeah. still trying to get my head around. I just, I have so many questions because I can't imagine it. I'd reconciled myself at that point. You know, I knew that. So, my wife at the time, my boys, so I knew that I had everything in place where they would be okay. I had a really warm sense about that. And I also, there was a part there where just just loads of friends and acquaintances were allowed to come in and just, you know, just say hi. And, you know, a few of them just would just, Martin, can I, 
can I say it? Can I pray for you? You know, it was great to be able to exchange that nice and early, you know, because that, that thought of just vanishing without getting to see some really important people, that would have been, look, it wouldn't have been pleasant, would it? But as I said, I, I knew I had everything set up. And, I, and yeah, I, the thought at the time, Ali, and I don't know if any, what other people, what goes through their head, but I just knew I'd lived a really, really good life. As I said, I was 100% reconciled if my time was up. I really was at peace. And I'd, what can I say? It, it, I just had a really good sense. I, I felt like I'd, I'd, I'd treated people well. I'd done my best for my family. I was work, you know, building up a business. I really felt like I'd given it a really good go and, and there was no, it was, I, I, I was at ease, Ali. Are there points of time during the stay in hospital because I, I'd really want to talk to you about the recovery in the post because there's some, you know, there's a big story there as well, but were there times in hospital that really stand out for you, moments of time of things that happen that just are in, like in intensive ingrained? Care. Yeah. Or after? Yeah. In hospital? Oh, yeah. Tell you what, Ali, I, I certainly slice it up between intensive care and the rehabilitation hospital. Mm. They're two mm. real distinct experiences, you know. Look, in, in intensive care, you're just, you're totally dependent on the professionals, you know, there's not a thing that, that you can do for yourself. And even going into the rehabilitation hospital, Ali, there's still not just physically there wasn't a, a one thing I could do for myself, you know, and that's just – and that's everything, you know. You just become immensely vulnerable straight away, you know, and the toileting, the the feeding, the – the quality of, of the nursing alley, just the kindness showed, you know, amazing. You know, the support from from family was was amazing. In the same breath, Ali, incidents like that, they are traumatic and, and not just for yourself. They're, I've mm. just as the time's gone on, I, I, I just there's a real ripple, you know, when when there's a an event of such magnitude that it, it it impacts everyone in your inner family to friends. You know, it, it it has a has a seismic impact in a different way. You know what your experience was and what the people standing next to you bared their experience. You know, it's so different. You're going through the same thing, but having such a different response. Yeah, feelings, fears. You know, very much. I can only speak for myself. I, I can't speak for my, you know, my, my wife at the time and my sons. But I look. All I know is that it was, it was a very, very challenging time. Very, mm-hmm. very challenging time, and because of course the reality of it just got more and more. It it just solidified as the weeks went on that right. This this is. This is something rather serious. Yeah, and not knowing what your recovery is going to be. I'm yeah. sure no one would have been able to tell you how much you would recover, were they? Look, no. 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 Because everyone's individual, right, with this condition? That's right. That's right. That's right. So even to this day, Ali, there's still very much a there's a real question mark as to just how far I'll get. But I just I just know at the time everyone was was doing what they felt was 
good and right at the mm. time, you mm. know, and I can't listen. And, and, and that's the way it just it just has to be left, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, that's the way it has to be left. Yeah, when you start questioning things or wondering things, it just will do your head in, right? Like oh, everyone is, their intention is good and they're doing the best they can with the information they have. Yes. And hindsight's wonderful, you know. Like I'd imagine in the eight years since you first got diagnosed that a lot of research has been put into place and that they're, well, maybe not even a lot because it's not very common, but, you know, they'd know more now than what they did back then. You're probably right, Ali. I, I, and I guess the... I mean, the professionals, what I was referring to before, I think was more so, look, the, the professionals go into their their mode of they, they, they've got a good, they know what they've got to do to keep me alive and they've got a good idea of what to do to try and preserve the function of like hands and limbs, right? So the, the, the professionals click in and do their thing. I guess my reference before was just the, the yeah, the, the way that, you know, again, family, friends respond to, to, a, to a, you know, those sorts of events. I think I often talk about this when people are going through something. Again, we can only talk from our own experience, right? Like everyone has a different experience. But I always say I had no idea. I'm a helper by nature. So when someone goes through a traumatic event, I want to jump in, right? I'm like all in. I'm here. What can I do? How can I help? I'm not moving from this spot. And then I had my stroke and I realized that sometimes that way of helping is really unhelpful and it's not right or wrong or it's not. And when you can't talk, you can't actually tell people what you're needing in that moment. So they're guessing. Listen, you're right. You're right. And people are making, people are making decisions for you. Yeah. You know, because there, because there isn't, you don't, you don't. I didn't have that ability ability to communicate in yeah. in, in a normal way. Just loads of decisions are, are, are being made for you, and you could probably hear a lot of those decisions oh, being I, made I could, as well. I could. Those, you know, like the the, the curtains there are rather thin, so yeah. you, you get to you get <laughs> to you get to hear everything, good, good, <laughs> yeah. bad, or yeah. Yeah. Did you um, just want to be like, I wish I could just put up my hand and say to them, hang on, hang on a second, can we just not do that? (laughs) 100%. 100%. I did. I I heard too much, Ali. (laughs) And, you know, I wonder if you lack the ability to communicate. And I do wonder, does a greater ability go into your ears, you know, what you've got left to use, you know, I wonder. Because my ears were fabulous at that time. Probably not as good as not as good now. <laughs> <laughs> Getting old. But you I've got to say your point though, Ali, about people jumping in to help. Yeah. I tell you what, that that really that's something to, to really unbox, isn't it? Because I was in a you know, I was right in a position to observe that up yeah. front and for an extended period of time, you know. You've got those people that and please let me be clear, that's not this isn't I'm not judging anyone when I say this. It, it, I'm not. I'm not. No, 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 absolutely not. And that I always find it really hard. It's almost a really tough conversation to have, isn't it? And I think it's important mm-hmm. that we do have this because I always feel like I'm being ungrateful. It's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about people help in a way that they know how, that they best know how. And sometimes that works for a person and not for the next person in that scenario. Absolutely. You're absolutely right it, because you had – even so in hospital and then even throughout my the rehabilitation stay and then yeah. and then getting back home the method that people would use to try and engage 
you know, as, as you say, you know, it's vastly different from person to person, you know, and that can be a, a real cause of friction when it comes to intimate relationships and family. Yeah, I think so. And yours was so layered with more complexity because you couldn't talk. Yeah. So you, that you couldn't communicate. So it was a one-way communication and, it, you know, so it, that makes it even more challenging. That's right. That's right. So I, in the wash, you know, when, when I did eventually get home and when you get you get taken out of that hospital bubble back into the real world, and of course, and, and life's changed, right? So you, you need, bless the NDIS, do you know what I mean? You've got support workers there to help. You've got loved ones there to help. You can't, I, I just, it's, it's a mistake, I think, to, you've got to really just park a lot of that, yeah, trauma or experience. You've really got to park that and and just just got to, I guess, accept and, and move forward, you know, because I, I, I certainly it, – it's just not a great time to be judging people, you know. It's just not. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about there is when, you know, it's a really common thread throughout this podcast around diversity is sometimes you get thrown in it and it, it's really shit, and you wouldn't wish it upon anyone. But but you don't you can't change it. You're there. You know you're in that environment. This has happened, and now it's about accepting whatever that looks like or means for you, and finding a way forwards, even if it's the smallest, tiniest step. But if you're holding on to, well, what if this didn't happen? Like, understandably, but I think that can really kind of hinder and hold back, and all I the agree. energy can be used in the past instead of trying 100%. to use it. You don't have a lot of energy, so you've got to give mm. it all to kind of moving forwards into the future. That's really true, Ali. I, I, I so I'm so with you on that, you know, because it's there is a, a want to to figure it out, mm. you know, and, and there's a want it, it's probably just part of the human condition, isn't it? But there's a want to to really reconcile things, you know? And that that isn't the best way forward. Speaking for myself, you know, I, yeah. I, I feel like it moving through all of that. And I, I know I'm sort of coming. It's a, it's very sweeping statements at the moment, but yeah, it, I think it is a very healthy thing to to make that choice to just right. This is what's happened, but mm. we do need to move forward with what we have. We all know I am a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? Project Health Monitoring, or PHM, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second-guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by feeling directly engaged socially and emotionally. Creating this resilience helps them to feel safe and enhances their well-being, performance and academic outcomes. For a free project health check on your school, please click the link provided in our show notes. Now back to the show. 
And Martin, let's talk about the rehab because that's, as you said, that's a whole nother segment, right? Like you can yeah, always draw much. a line in the sand between ICU and rehab. Indeed, yeah, indeed, yeah. Ali. So the, certainly the intensive care experience, it's very it's very acute, isn't it? You know, their job is to keep you alive and and then, you know, with Gillian Barre, depending upon the severity you know, you across into a rehab facility and and it's not as you haven't got an intensive care nurse by your side the whole time. You know, you're you're put into a room with three other people and you, you need to then get used to a a new routine. And not just a new routine, a new life, a new way of being, a new way of seeing the world, feeling the world, experiencing the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then even though you're relieved to you, you're relieved to be out of intensive care, and you and you, I must say, like I, I kind of, I still had this, I still had this very rosy picture as to how it would all progress for me, and um, you know, it was in that rehab time that that it's, it really it started to become obvious that wow, this is this is hard going, you know, these legs just aren't working, are they? <laughs> was there a point in time for you? Like was there an event during rehab that you remember that kind of really sinking in or it just kind of grew more and more over the time? Do you know what, Ali? The more I think about it, it was that there was a moment at the tail end of intensive care. So it was that transitioning mm. into the rehab hospital. Uh, there's a, a delightful OT and the discussion up there was still very, you know, you, you, it's very nondescript. As I said, it's just, right, let's keep him alive. Let's try and get get him practising breathing, you know, on his own, try and get the swallow back. But I, I remember once the, yeah, once the vocal cords did come back and that, that ability to, to communicate in a better fashion, yeah, it, it was it was a beautiful OT. And she, I... I think I'm, I'm. I would. I would have asked a question along the lines of, "Can't wait to be home and and walking again." You know, words to that effect. It was an overly optimistic statement, and and it was and it was just a really flippant kind of off the cuff thing. It was just, "Oh, Martin, you look. There's no way you're going to be walking when you get home. You'll be in a wheelchair." So you, you won't walk out of here, you know. I just remember at the time being like that was a real adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> that was a real adjustment because I, even though it was a real it was a ultra severe thing that, that had happened, I still just had the, these rose coloured glasses really that all oh, right, I'm in hospital and, and I'll They'll get fix better. Me. They'll fix me. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine, you know. Yeah. And then to hear a bit of a, a, a truth about what the future is likely to hold. I just remember that being a real, you know, a real whack. Um, not, not again, it wasn't done in a disrespectful, unloving way. No, it was, if anything, it's probably a reality so that you don't Absolutely. hold on to this piece that may not happen. Mm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that alley was a moment. Yeah. And how did you move through rehab and digest all of this information and start to create a future? Because it almost sounds like your world stopped in a second, yeah. you know, not a second but over a 48-hour period it was like 
there was who you were and now there's who you are. Mm-hmm. Look, that's right, Ali. And look, I how did I make my way through it? It it was look, it was just a day at a time, um, physio session at a time, OT session at a time. In that rehab hospital, Ali, as I said at the start, I was one of the lucky ones, right, because in that neuro rehab ward, most of my time there was spent with gents that had had really, really bad strokes. And so I was the the coming and going of of these people, and I I was a long-termer, right? It was nine and a half months in rehab for me. So I got to see people coming and going every you know every week every two weeks so i i actually again i was one of the lucky ones so i I really held on to the fact that look i can speak and i've got my mind i'm all right yep legs don't work arms don't work i'm in this chair all the time but listen i'm doing all right it could be worse you know so I, i feel like that really informed a lot of my time in rehab and even post-rehab, Ali. It was just that exposure. Is that an innate way that you walk in the world or did that come from your observations in rehab? I've spoken about this before on Teddy's episode when I was down there and two of my mates had um, what became quadriplegic in eight days and I was at two different rehabs watching and observing and I noticed that some people took on their rehab and were like, I'm just going to focus on what I can do and Mm. some were more kind of like, why did this happen to me? And there's no right or wrong to this, but Mm. I noticed the difference in the rehab around that. So do you think that your kind of perception of being like, well, I I can do this and I can do this happened because of what you observed in that nine and a half months or do you think that just ran innate in you? Yeah, Ali, I do. I I think there was, I think I was born with that to a large Mm. extent. Um, I've all, look, yeah, I've always been quite, glass half full. Well, it served you in this case, right? Yeah, look, I, I feel like it has. I feel like mm. it has because I just at no point have I, have I entertained being that other type of person that, that is just really happy to do the, um, you know, kind of do the victim thing a bit, you know? Yeah. And yeah. no, that, that just wasn't in me. So, I, yeah, I, I, by and large, Ali, I was, I was born with that, I feel. And it's almost like there's this this candle of hope that sits in front of you in a way. It's like, oh, that's oh what, indeed. Is that right? Yeah. That's the sense I'm getting. It's like possibility. We don't know what the future holds. Yeah, look, I, I feel like if there's you've, – you've still got to be entertaining hope of some sort, right? And I think that's all I've, that's all I've really focused on is, look – this is just an opportunity, I suppose, for me to improve myself one way or another, you know. Maybe out of it, yeah, physically I don't have the uh, abilities that I once did, but I, I, I kind of just hope that there might be other elements of me that I've been able to sharpen and, and improve off the back of the, the challenge or the experience, you know. And what advice, strategies comments did people make along the way that kind of stayed with you like are there moments that you remember like that yeah absolutely but throughout the whole throughout the whole process Ali both intensive care and through into rehab and and you know even post rehab look everyone is coming at you with with information of sorts 
and there's going to be expressions that that you're in agreement with and then there's going to be ex- expressions that probably just don't line up for you all i know is that yeah it's it, i think it's part biology being yeah erring on the more positive side but then also just treating the the whole thing as just an opportunity to to improve that mindset was probably the overriding one you know it's an opportunity to improve i've got a young family that i need to remain strong for i've got a young family that still needs me even though it's not clear to me right at this moment i don't doubt there's going to be a way that i can still be a useful husband a useful dad i don't know what it looks like yet but i've got to remain strong in order to still achieve those things you know so there was certainly there was a lot of incentive there ali to to mm. to crack on how often did you say that to yourself was that on a daily basis do you think Look, I don't know. It, it wasn't because I was without my phone, you know, like I didn't have a lot of the – and you're unable you, – as I said, you can't, can't scratch yourself. So you're just alone with your thoughts day in, day out, night in, night out. So you, you don't have all those usual distractions, you know, so you can't kind of absorb or, or deflect the what's going on inside, you know. You've just got to sit with it and – there wasn't a, a mantra that I that, that was jumping out for me every day, but certainly my re- reading up until hospitalisation, I, I feel like served me well, Ali. You know, so just that more going down that that more the sort of stoic element. You know, I sort of consumed loads of great books in and around that, and I, I just I think that probably just that just stuck. You know, because there was an opportunity in front of me to go, right? look, this is this is dreadful, but I can improve from this, you know? So I, I think that was probably just in me, Ali, you know. Like luckily, you know, and that's where those that superpower really comes into play. Like if you can tap into the part of you that that makes you so brilliant in this world. And that's the part that you're talking about now. This is the part of you that really makes you thrive. And you really need to call on that in that moment. It would have yeah. been easy not to, but, you know, you did. You caught on it and you used it and you, like, really hammered that in and, and it could have looked very different if you hadn't. Yeah, you are right. And, yeah, Ali, what, what can I say? I, I think – and then even once I did get, you know, being back in hospital and then I, you, I eventually got my, got my phone and able to do some more listening and reading up there, that, that was fabulous to help with the – evolving situation I was in. Ali, the the other element to that in terms of growing through rehab or or just surviving it was just an amazing support network, you know, that that were that was more than happy to to come up and just just chat. That was really, really beneficial. So my, my wife at the time, she was still working and having to, to look after the boys, making amazing efforts to, to try and keep the family stable. Her visits coming up to, you know, to, to lend support. And then, yeah, other friends and family coming up. Just 
people are still even friends friends and family still trying to figure out what's going on you know so everyone was in a real state of wow what but i've got to say it was fabulous to have a real consistent flow of people that cared yeah that that was amazing because in your own head you're in you're in a very unnatural environment compared to what you're used to and you're you're having to on a daily basis witness other people around you who are proper suffering. I love that you say that because you were proper suffering, just so I can name this. Like to everyone else listening to your story right now, Martin, is thinking they can't even imagine what that's like. Like that sounds like it's the worst of the worst and it's incredible to hear the language inside your head being like it could be worse. I, You know, I've watched these people come to like I don't even know if you're aware of that, but me listening to your story, I can't imagine anything worse than not being able to move your legs, arms, talk, hug your loved ones, communicate with your loved ones, ask questions about what's going on right now, being locked in your body. Like I cannot imagine anything worse than that. So it's a journey and a half that you have been through. Yeah, yeah. Yes. (laughs) It has been, it has been. And Martin, what does life look like for you now, six years on? Look, the ripples of this have, have been um, um, really, really severe, I have to say. You know, so it's physically I'm – look, I'm primarily – I'm in a wheelchair these days, right? So my main mode of uh, moving about is in a wheelchair. My ability to do just real basic walking, it is there. It is there. And – I'd probably say at the start of this year it was it was at its peak, but I, I've I've had a couple of falls, Ali. All right, so I must say I'm not my confidence is a bit low with it at the moment, but again I've just got to keep at it and keep working on it, you know. But look, I, in a very rudimentary fashion, I, I can walk about. I can walk about a bit. And I imagine when you have those falls. It just rattles you, like shakes you, like you can be working toward and then getting that courage to try again. Oh, listen, and that's a that's, a, that's something I'm really – I've really had to engage with and embrace, Ali. It's that, it's that fear element of trying to get better, right, because you, it's like you've got to make those steps and make those efforts knowing full well that – you could fall left or right or <laughs> fall forwards. And, again, life might look completely different again. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's no real safeguard there. Yeah. Again, I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but it's like when do you nurture yourself and comfort yourself in that space versus when do you push forwards and put yourself out there on the limb with the risk that comes with it? Yeah. Look, there's no half-half there. Right, yeah. I will say commit. that you've got to commit to it. You've got to own it, one way or the, the other. End, right? It's just you can't. It's because quite legitimately, I, you know, I push myself up, and it's taking a breath, and then it's it's taking those steps. And look, if yeah, I just I just find it's you, you get so worked up to give it a go, and then once you're up and in it, you just your your fear hormones or your 
all those fear chemicals are, are flowing because you, you know what could happen if it, if it doesn't work out. And then you do it, you know, you, you walk a bit and then it's right, I'll, I'll sit down. And then, yeah, you need to let your body like calm down because you're quite literally so high from, from just mm. doing something so simple. Mm. Yeah. And you said that's physically how it is for you at the moment. How are you mentally at the moment? Yeah, me- mentally, Ali. I'm. Listen, I feel like I'm still. I feel. I feel like I'm still good. You know. And look, I know on paper, you know, look, a lot's happened, and so look, there, you know, there was a, unfortunately, a, a marriage breakdown in amongst it. Yeah, yeah, just just real. So some real challenges have emerged there, but, but I, I still look. I feel like I'm. I, look, I feel like I'm plotting forward, all right. You know. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact methodology for that. Plotting forwards works. Yeah, plotting forward. <laughs> we'll put that in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> the definition of plotting forwards. That's it. That's it. And I've kind of, you know, when there is the the dissolution of a of a marriage and you're in a a position of a wheelchair. It's a, it, there's that real reconciliation of self-image as well, yeah. Ali. You know, it's just. What's well, another loss too, isn't it? Isn't it? Mm. Isn't it? It's grief upon grief. Yeah, because you're then needing to, you know, you've, you've kind of got to rebuild yourself one way or another. And define who you are, you know, like yeah. what does that mean to you and what does that look like and, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. Of course, that's all washed in amongst all this, but it's really um, there's been challenges all along all along the way, Ali. But look, currently in a great space. Met I met a lovely, lovely girl, and yeah, we're expecting our first baby at the start <gasps> of June. Oh my god, that warms my heart. So look, I've really unreal position I have to say yeah yeah and normally I ask towards the end of the interview I say you know what's your advice for someone out there going through this or to the listeners but I'm not going to ask that I'm going to ask what do you need to say to you what do you need to hear from you oh it's probably just keep going Mm -hmm. keep going it'll be okay yeah yeah that's what comes to mind, Ali. <laughs> yeah. Stay strong. Yeah. One one foot at a time. That's it. Yeah. Martin, I have said already, but I just don't have words. Like I this whole way through this whole interview, I'm constantly just like trying to hear and integrate the information you're giving because I can't imagine it. You know, it's so far removed from my reality. It's so far removed what you're talking about that – I'm holding on to every word and every sentence trying to imagine it and then it's on to the next thing and it's like, but how did you even, like I'm still back on the first day, like how did you even <laughs> process that, you know, like we haven't even got to what the last six years have been like or, yeah. you know, so just I guess before we finish up, is there anything that you want to say to the listeners or anything that you want to say to your children? Oh, look, Ali, look, my boys are up, they've, they've been with me the whole time and, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but they've, you know, they've they've seen their dad, and you know, go from version one to version two. But they've maintained a, a really a, a real strength, and their visits up to intensive care, like it, it, 
they they inspire me you know they give me strength so i i'm you know bless them and again i'll just continue trying to be the the best dad i i can be for them you know as far as uh, as, as far as the the listeners ali i think what perhaps gets lost out there at the minute is You've got to know when the good times are on, Ali. You know, you've got to know when the good times are happening. And I was, of course, chugging along there. And again, even when life was amazing, you still sort of hold on to stuff that probably doesn't matter. And you you probably take for granted just what, what you've got. I'd say that to your listeners, Ali. Just look, and, and this this came from an intensive care nurse, actually. Joy, really early on, this beautiful, beautiful woman just showed me a lot of empathy. She, I think, she might have been the first one to give me like a, a bed bath. She was coming to the end of her working career, but just had seen everything. She'd seen this, and and she said, "Look, Martin, I, the way I see it, if you're upright and breathing." you're doing well. And those words have stayed with me from joy. And 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 they're so true. Look, if you're upright and breathing, hey, you, you you got a lot going for you, you know? But yeah, Ali, just you might not you might not know when the good times are happening, but just try and plug into them because life can life could just flick in an instant, you know? Mm. And I think, you know, to take that one step further, it's like, what are you holding on from your past that no longer serves you? Or what fear are you holding on for the future that hasn't even happened yet? You know, that's where it brings in that present, you know, you can't appreciate the good times if you're not present at the moment. And that's something that I hear consistently throughout this podcast. My experience, you're saying it now, it's like the good days are good. Don't miss them. Don't miss those moments, you know, a day that you wake up and the sun is shining and your kids are laughing and, you know, you might feel a bit shit but, you know, there's not bulldozers being like going over you or grenades dropped in your pocket. Like, you know, you just breathe it in and soak it up and Mm. don't miss it and don't be looking for the next thing, always looking for the next thing or always trying to, yes, there's an element of be strategic about improving but appreciate where you are right now. That's it. That's it because ultimately we are – we are very fragile creatures when yeah. it all boils down to it. We, yep. we really are. Uh, as much as we can, I guess, put on a bit of bravado to say that we're not, at the end of the day, our health can, can vanish in an instant. Mm-hmm. Enjoy what you've got, you know. Yeah. And the last question that we always finish the podcast on is what or who in your world truly makes you belly laugh? When you were talking about joy before, when do you feel that moment of joy that you can't stop laughing? Oh, look, I've got to say the joy and the belly laughs, um, my beautiful girlfriend, Sean, the two of us are, are laughing a lot and, um, yeah, she's a, a great source of, of comedy and, and, and laughter for me, Ali. So, it, yeah, Sean, Sean does that for me. And it's so beautiful to hear for anyone out there that is going through a marriage breakup, like there is always, you know, you don't know what's in your future, right? Like if you're going through something, you don't know what's around the corner. And I always say you can't open a new door until one door's closed for whatever reason, Mm, you mm. know, whether that be adversity, a breakup, whatever it is, it's like listening to you now, it's like you couldn't have known that you're going to be in this place that you're in right now. You couldn't have predicted it. Oh, Ali, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And um, what can I say about that? It, It 
you know, being present, I, I think, forms a, a, a massive part of that. Mm. You know, it forms a massive part of that. And and just, yeah, just being plugged in, you know, still putting yourself out there, out, out there in the community as well. Like that's still a really important thing. I think people that do end up in when their lives change for whatever reason, now whether or not that's, I guess, physical disability, mental disability, I've seen it, you know, your, your world, if you don't push back, like your world does get a bit smaller, mm. you know, it does. Mm. And it just comes back to the individual and I guess the, the network around them to, to really encourage to keep getting out there and doing the things that you were doing once upon a time, mm. you know, because you just, you just don't know what, you don't know what's out there. You don't know who's out there. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Martin. Absolute pleasure, Ali, and thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Sometimes I hear a story that I know is going to stay with me forever. Martin's story is one of those. His courage, his character, as well as his challenge. I took so much away from his interview. If you know someone that might benefit from listening to Martin's story, we would love to invite you to share the episode. I hope that you have a fabulous week and a great start to the new year, and I will see you all next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.